Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. I didn't know I was dyslexic. I just thought I was stupid. And it really affects your self-confidence. It can make you feel like a fraud and you're going to get found out. Right through my childhood, I felt like I was committing a crime. Nervous and on edge all the time. And it all builds up and you've got this terrible feeling all the time that it's all going to come tumbling down. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. A big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Activated Nutrients, creators of certified organic daily multivitamin powders that are scientifically formulated to meet the nutritional and energy needs of you and your family. Derived from nature, backed by science. Hi, babe. (laughs) Good morning. Hello. I was going to say good morning. It's not even the morning. Oh, who knows what time of the day it is. Yeah. Good point. I don't. You've been up all night. Been up all night again with my little baby. One of those days. Oh, how the nighttime activities have changed since, you know, what we used to be doing all night. Yeah. I think you were saying. on the tables. (laughs) (laughs) God, the night times are very different to how we used to, how we used to spend them. God, those were the days. Will we ever get them back? You've had them back. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Although I pay for it for a lot longer yeah. these days and I I just don't have the same. Look, I'd like to think that I do, but let's be honest, I don't have the same stamina anymore. No, I couldn't even think of anything worse than having a late night. I actually went out on the weekend to a friend's wedding. I was home at quarter to 12. That's pretty late. <laughs> pretty late <laughs> the other night I was still up and it was like 10 30 I was like oh it's 10 30 yeah. and I was like that's so hysterical I, I get that feeling that. too though when you look at the clock and you don't realize like if it's any time past 8 p.m in my house it triggers my anxiety I need my sleep. <laughs> oh okay what are we having in common this week good question there's always something I know there will be I know mm, you got something yep I don't even know if you know I've got it in common yet oh Okay. I'm finally on board. Oh, with what, my darling? The lemon water in the morning. Oh, it's about time. I know. You've been telling me for, I was going to say months. Years. So I've been doing it for maybe two months now and I love it. Yeah. I wake up wanting it Mm. and normally I used to wake up every morning wanting coffee. Yeah. Like I didn't even want to get out of bed until I had a sip of coffee. I know. You're proud of that But now I have the lemon water and I don't even want my coffee straight away. Yeah. That's one of the benefits from it. It sort of fills you up for a little while. You don't need to eat straight away and it kind of holds back the coffee cravings for a while too. If anyone's listening that has no idea what we're talking about, we're talking about drinking warm lemon water in the mornings first thing when you wake up. So like a health tip that lots of people have 
told us and I've been drinking it for years and I've been saying to Kate, you've got to get on board. You've got to hydrate before you caffeinate, girlfriend. On and on and she goes. Here. But you're right because it's great to start your metabolism. Yeah. It's good for your skin. So yes. you've told me. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's just so hydrating. So if you hydrate, like you go all night, maybe without drinking any water, you wake up like your, you know, your whole body, all your organs, your skin, it's all like a dried up prune. You need to rehydrate. Which makes sense when I'm finally on board. Okay. And I mean, I've got two lemon trees. Yes, full of exactly. Lemons. So they're now getting to. a very, very good workout. They're good to hear. Anyway, I'm sticking happy about to that. it. But I reckon we should get into our episode pretty quickly today because yeah, no faffling about. I'm breastfeeding Ren again as usual, so he's going to be done and we probably don't have much time. Yeah, we don't have much time. Guest episode today. Joining us is a dear friend of mine, Vincent Fantuzzo. Vincent is a Melbourne-based Australian portrait artist known for his award-winning portraits of Heath Ledger, Brandon Walters, Hugh Jackman, Matt Moran, former Prime Minister Julia Gillard. Amazing. And, of course, his divine wife, Asha Keddy, who we had on the pod last season. He's one of Australia's most prominent artists and photographers. He's won the Archibald People's Choice Award more than any other artist and his works are exhibited all over the globe. Incredibly talented artist. He grew up here in Melbourne where his childhood was impacted by learning difficulties. He tells us all about this. He managed to enrol into university under false pretenses, and it wasn't until this time of his life that he was finally diagnosed with dyslexia. He's now a proud father of two boys and now as an adult who's very well aware of his dyslexia, he has absolutely no shame in sharing and celebrating it. So we can't wait to learn more about his view on it being, as I think he says, you know, a blessing more than a disability and how he's harnessed this blessing throughout his life and career. So let's hear from him. Here he is. First up, Vincent, a big warm welcome to Talking in Common. Thank you so much for joining us. It's extra special to have a friend on the podcast. Also nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yeah, this makes three of us. How's my hair? <laughs> your, hair every, looks, your hair looks no, good. Every day is a bad hair day. <laughs> so because I do know you and I know that you like to have a bit of fun in the kitchen and I also know firsthand that you're a very good cook, what's the most impressive thing you've cooked lately? Wow. <laughs> don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to boast. Um, we kind of do a lot of everyday food and we have two boys that, you know, we have to make them both eat good food. So try and include vegetables, try and do all that stuff. But I like to make pizzas and make gnocchi and kind of oh. do the basics, but do them from scratch if we can. So, mm. and I think it's, including the family and Asha likes to cook a lot as well. So we kind of take turns. I'm probably a better, no. Asha told me <laughs> don't do too much of your sarcasm because no one's going to get it. She said, I get it, but people won't. And they'll take snippets and you'll look like a dick. So. Spoken like a true loved one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there it goes down too the late. drain. So yum home cooked kind of family yeah, style Yeah, so the meals. idea is the process, getting the family involved in the process and making them appreciate the food. So I'll get like a a cow and we'll cut it up. No, <laughs> see, there's the sarcasm <laughs> coming back. That no. could be like a pretty cool process. You've got to know, you know where your food comes if from. If you're a butcher. No. We'll breed we, the cow. We well, you I know. I don't do any of that. Just the basics and getting their hands dirty and letting them know that it's okay to join in, make mistakes, 
I've grown up with generations of my family were cooks and chefs and still in Italy they all have restaurants and cake shops. I want to pass that on to the family. Before we get into the really hard-hitting questions, we like to start – no, I'm kidding. We like to start by asking all our guests, what did you want to be when you were growing up, when you were a kid? I loved boxing. I wanted to be a boxer when I was a kid. That didn't happen. I did always want to be an artist. I did a chef apprenticeship when I was younger. I like the social aspect of cooking. I like to cook and people tell me, oh, that was really good. You know, in a kitchen you just mm. – you're working while everyone's having fun and yeah. it's such a hard job. I, I have a lot of respect for anyone that can get through that with relationships and workload. And So I did that for a little while, did a bunch of other things. I always loved drawing. Never picked up a paintbrush until I was in my late teens but I was just drawing pictures and a bit of graffiti. I had this idea that if you become an artist, you're destined for a life of poverty and I kind of grew up with that. I just thought if I do that, I'm never going to get out. And I thought maybe boxing or something else would get me out. Yeah. And it ends up you can do that as an artist. And I think there's still a stigma in all creative industries it's a struggle. That it's going to be a struggle. But I think if that's what you're best at and you love it, then you'll have success. So sticking with your younger years for a minute, can you share with us a bit about your upbringing, your family and what your childhood was like? It was difficult but positive. So I have a great mum. There was five kids, older brother, older sister, myself, sister, brother, and we're all a year and a half or two years apart. There was a lot of action in the house. It was chaos. And I think my parents split when I was, you know, in primary school towards the end. And from that time, my dad wasn't around too much. My mum pretty much did it all on her own. I had no idea how difficult that would have been. Mm. But she made a lot of sacrifices. She worked very hard. She slept on the couch for 10 years because she didn't have a bedroom we were all cramped in different rooms. We probably moved house 20 times at least before we got into the commission housing. We lived there for quite some time. That was good, very cramped, but we got to settle and it felt like a home. So how do you feel that, you know, your past and your early years have sort of influenced or impacted the person that you are today? You don't need to have a difficult life to be an artist. I think you just need to have empathy and understanding of other people and yeah. struggles as well. But the struggles, I would say, did give me resilience. And it can go two ways, I think. You know, you can get crushed by hard times or they can make you a little bit tougher. And I like to think that they made me more ambitious. I think you're a great example of an artist who has really broken that stigma. It's really difficult for artists to get a start, I yeah. think. And when you go to art school, no one tells you how to have a business as an artist. Mm. And it's almost a dirty word in the art world, you know, trying to be commercially successful as an artist. If you're an artist showing in a commercial gallery, the gallery takes 40 or 50 percent. Wow. Most people say, well. Considering it's all of your yeah, like, heart and soul and, and sweat and tears yeah. and talent and work put into it that you've got to share such a huge part of it if you want to be in a gallery. Yeah, and you can only show in a gallery twice a year, three times if you're lucky. And this is not exactly my example, but if there was an artist and this would be considered very successful, 
had an exhibition in a commercial gallery, sold $200,000 worth of work. They would have to give half of that away. Then they would have to pay their studio rent. Then they'd have to pay tax. They have to pay for all their materials. So even as a successful exhibition and artist, you're still not left with much. So, you know, I think things have to change and they are. And there's a lot of artists that are becoming more independent. So I think it's changing. So these days you're a world-renowned artist, but when did you really realise or notice that you had a real talent for it? I had this idea that I was going to start a chain of dry cleaners. I was, <laughs> I was about 19. I was, ex- where I was yeah. expecting that answer to go. All my stories, it's my dyslexic way. <laughs> I go around and stick with me. Yeah. So I opened this dry cleaners. I don't know. I can't even organize my own lunch. Somehow I managed to hustle a lease at this little local shop with a dry cleaning place. And I, was, I wasn't doing the dry cleaning. I was just taking the orders and selling newspapers and magazines. And Anyway, I spent most of the time sketching pictures. And every day I'd sit at the front desk and I'd have my sketch pad. And I was you know, starting to get a really good response from all my dry cleaning customers <laughs> and they were like what are you doing here like why and so I put together a f- portfolio of drawings while I was in my dry cleaning empire yep someone said why don't you apply for art school and I had no idea how to do that so when you're dyslexic and you're hiding not being able to read and write while you're at school and you have to learn to hustle a little yep. bit Anyway, I learned to make a whole fake school report. You know, I got friends to do, I'll do your drawing if you make me a fake BCE thing. And the whole thing was a sham. How did you, sorry to interrupt you, but how did you feel at school when you were struggling to read and write? Did you think there's something not right? How did you feel? I didn't know I was dyslexic. I just thought I was stupid. Okay. And it really affects your self-confidence. It can make you feel like a fraud and you're going to get found out. And right through my childhood, I felt like I was committing a crime, nervous and on edge all the time. So, you know, I'd often try and get kicked out of class or be the class clown. So I'd have an excuse why I didn't do my work. I think schools have come so far now and there's a lot of support and they pick up on things earlier. Yeah. And there's help for kids. I mean, I just have no idea how, including my family, no one knew that I couldn't read a sentence. It makes my hands shake, the thought of going through all those years having to lie. Yeah. And then I lied my way into university. Yeah. And it all builds up and you've got this terrible feeling all the time that it's all going to come tumbling down. Yeah. And I still have that feeling even today. You're a world-renowned artist. I'm like, am I? Because I... What if people find out that I'm not? Is that imposter, it, called imposter syndrome? Yeah. Oh, shit. We, yeah. There's a label <laughs> exactly. for it. A, I know everything's got a label. You can yeah. talk about that. Can you share with us the story of how you ended up getting into uni and also how your diagnosis for dyslexia came about in your early 20s? Because it is quite a fascinating story, I think. So I applied for VCA. I didn't get in. And... Then I applied for RMIT. I got in. I went the first year and I was so overwhelmed. I got there. I quit the next week. Then following year, I applied again and got in. Still felt the same, but I was determined there wasn't much else I could do. I couldn't even get a job in a factory 
I couldn't fill out the form to get a job in yeah. the factory. When I was in university, I was very, very focused on making it work. I was in the studio from day to night, but I had no idea about art, the art world. I'd never been to a gallery, never been to an exhibition, had no idea about any art movement, any artist. I didn't even know who Picasso was. So all I could do is just try and paint at my best. So I did that and I was doing really well. Had no idea how to do history, so I would do portraits. I was doing some sports memorabilia at the time, so it's very corny stuff. I would paint a picture of, say, Shane Warne, get him to sign it, sell it to some hustlers that had these sports memorabilia shops. I was making it actually making some good money, hustling. So was it portraits that you really started off yeah, with? Yeah, basically. And at that time, portraiture was not cool at all. So even in university amongst the lecturers, they were like, you got to do something else. you got to – now portraiture is everywhere, street art. Anyway, I was paying other students to do my history. So I was getting really good marks at history as well. I was doing great. And – I paid one guy, but he plagiarized the whole essay straight off the internet. I gave oh, it to no. my teacher. Out of all of my university lecturers, she was she was not understanding at all. She said, "Ah, oh, you've cheated. You failed." I had a, an interview with the head of the school, the art school, and I said, "Oh, look, this is the situation. I either had to come clean or say I cheated." I said, "This is what I did because I can't read and write and." He said, oh, if that's the case, if you're telling the truth, then we'll see what we can do. And he, he was actually amazing. But I did have to prove that I was dyslexic. I thought I was dyslexic. I was going to say, did you know what, dysle- like what no, dyslexia was? No, can't even spell the word. I mean, mm, what a word. It's a tricky word, isn't it's it? It's quite ironic. It's a hard yeah, word to yeah. spell. <laughs> never, never looked a thing up in my life. Yeah. So I had to find out about that. So I did this exam, came back with this big, thick uh, report on how dyslexic I was and, geez, I was ticking all the boxes, numeracy, literacy, memory, general knowledge. Like I, I was at primary school level, if that. Was that a sense of relief to get a diagnosis for you? So there was a sense of relief and there was an overwhelming sense that it's a disability and mm. I had to go to the disability liaison. I had, So I kind of felt like, in one way, okay, I'm not stupid, I'm dyslexic, but what is that? And I didn't know what mm. that was. So I am pretty resilient, but I can see how that would easily get someone very down. What I realise now and what I can tell other people is that with dyslexia, with other learning disabilities and difficulties, you also get some pros as well, you know, spatial awareness, problem solving, making art, a different way of thinking, empathy. And this is what I had to accept is some things I will never be able to do like the alphabet, like other people. And it's like, wow, someone says, um, oh, no, you just practice your times tables. I spent so much time privately trying to learn basic things. It's just certain things that will not. It's just never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So you forget about those and concentrate on the positives. Yeah. Anyway. So they said, now you've failed. You actually failed the last four years of history because you didn't do the work. It was my final semester of my final year of art school that's happened. So I was about to fail and now I don't get to graduate. 
and this very nice head of school gave me an exemption on that. I worked with a disability liaison team. I did my exams. Someone sat with me. I was able to talk through them and RMIT were amazing. I went on to do my master's. I did the graduation speech in front of the whole Etihad Stadium. That was amazing. And now I'm a professor at the university. It's a real <laughs> achievement. What made you want to go to uni when school, you know, it was a struggle and you left high school quite early, right? I left high school when I was 14, if that, and I got myself into a lot of trouble. I could have gone down a very dark road. I had plenty of forks in the road where – I was doing the wrong thing successfully and art really saved my life. But I've always felt uneducated. I didn't even finish year nine and I thought if I go to university, I didn't even care if I made it as an artist. I just wanted to change the, you know. Your path. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. Something to focus on. Mm. Yeah. Well, for someone that's clearly not dumb who grew up feeling dumb, like I can I understand. I do a lot of dumb things, but <laughs> I do. guess I'm not. Yeah. We all do, but you know, for feeling so different to everyone else in your younger years and wondering why, I, I just had to learn how to how to do it. Saying that, you don't learn how to be an artist at art school. You learn how to talk about art. You almost learn how to defend your art amongst others, and you learn how to drink, yeah, socialize, <laughs> you know, and that was great. I have read a bit about your particular style of art being criticised for not being like artistic or creative enough because it is so realistic. So I suppose you've got to be prepared for... Yeah, so at the time there was a big movement for performance art, for video art, just general abstraction and all those things I really personally I love myself and I make a lot of abstract art mm, and I make okay. videos and I, in my studio I spend at least half the time doing that kind of work, mm. but I exhibit the portraits. And I think I had a fascination for portraits because when I paint someone, you get to learn so much about the person. So that was my way of learning was firsthand from people, you know, I painted people like the chief justice, the prime minister, gangsters, business people, musicians, your dad. My dad. You know, and I mean, that's how we became great friends. And I think – First of all, doing a portrait, you need a level of trust so people open up to you. And it really is a privilege when someone gives you that. And I've made the most incredible friends. I met my wife doing I was her portrait. Say, that yeah, has that was to a be winner, something wasn't it? very special. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't take that angle anymore, obviously. Come to my studio. No. <laughs> I, know, I did, actually didn't do that. Um, what did you do? Yeah, come on, tell us, like tell that, us about, yeah, tell us about like the story of meeting Asha. Like oh, there's many stories and variations depending on who tells the story. There's Matt Moran's story. There's Asha's story. There's my story. We've heard Asha's, so we want to yeah. hear your side now. So obviously she knew who I was and she contacted her agent no, this is my sarcasm. <laughs> Did you know who true. she was? No, or? <laughs> no. Neither of us knew about each other. Matt's like a brother to me, Matt Moran, Chef Matt Moran. And he's just amazing. He's Luca's godfather. He's a big part of Did you meet lives. him through doing a portrait of him? Well, I met him through art. So we got introduced at a bar and we didn't know who each other was either. But I loved cooking. He said his wife loves art. And she knows who I am. Oh. <laughs> so 
we started chatting, we became friends and we were like love at first sight, it's like friendship at first sight. And yeah. I think that happens. Yeah, you get you know, that and we were people, just don't you? just like best mates straight away. Yeah. I was doing a project which I'd done first in New York, then in Hong Kong. It's 30 portraits in 30 days. And this was an idea I came up with Heath Ledger when I did his portrait. So the idea of the 30 portraits in New York was I get introduced to someone that's very New York. The next day they introduce me to someone else and on and goes on and on. So I have about six or eight hours to paint a portrait and then I have six or eight hours of going out drinking and finding the next, the next person. person. Yeah, And then depending on a hangover, I do a good portrait or not. At the end of the 30 days I go to rehab. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it was such a fun project and – I met the most incredible people, you know, in New York. I painted people like Mark Ronson and Lennox Lewis and wow. just so cool. massive list. Then I brought the project to Melbourne and I wanted to paint inspirational Australians mm-hmm. and incredible people again like Lane Beachley, Bob Hawke, all these different people. I had to paint Matt as one of them. I had to paint Baz Luhrmann. You know, I painted all my mates as inspirational <laughs> people. They are. And Matt suggested Asha and at first she didn't know who I was. I didn't really know who she was and I knew of her achievements. I was late because I I was looking after Luca by myself and she was about to turn around and leave. She was like, who is this dick? Like come all the way from the country and he hasn't turned up. So then Asha turned up and it was really like love at first sight. We were just like giggling teenagers and I was trying to trying to take photos I was completely distracted I had to paint her portrait the next day or that day I wanted to really impress her I was up all night trying to paint the best portrait of my life and it worked all right let's take a quick breather and highlight today's episode sponsor activated nutrients activated nutrients formulates certified organic whole food multivitamins packed with pre and probiotics to support the nutritional needs of yourself and the whole family and be sure to try grow up the superfood blend specifically formulated for little ones it contains all the good stuff in one big delicious dose to support the nutritional needs of growing brains and bodies i will definitely be testing this out in my kids smoothies this week so good idea i might try the same now everyone head to activatednutrients.com to check it out and now let's get back to the episode with vincent let's talk about you being a father you have two gorgeous boys luca and valentino how would you describe yourself as a dad it's the most important thing in my life before anything else before art any type of success to me is my boys one day saying that I was a great dad and I was always there for them and just to give them as much love as I can. So I think I do some things very well. If I didn't have Asha there to help, I'd probably fail in a lot of ways. Asha went away for three days this week and she set up everything for three days. It's hilarious. If anyone saw it, they'd say, like, you really are. Did you stick to it all, everything that she set up? No. (laughs) (laughs) I can't follow any orders or rules anyway. I just said yes, following the rules. And she had all the uniforms laid out. She had little notes on everything. She's like, so you know what to do on that day? 
you got to wake up at this time to pack lunch. And I was like, yeah, I've done it before. I do it when she goes away. She does it when I go away. Anyway, I forgot a lot of things. Sometimes their uniforms were wrong on the wrong day and their lunches were definitely different to what Asha makes. But I got through. <laughs> lunch orders. Yeah. <laughs> do you talk to your kids about your struggles with your day-to-day things and do they play tricks on you? <laughs> yeah, there's no hiding there's no hiding my struggles from them and I think they actually find it quite amusing yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, if I'm reading a book with my seven-year-old, I'm like, no, you read. Yeah. You know, I'll help you. You know, it's better if you're – It's a, really it's because he reads better than I do. Um, and they're both so bright. So I'm good at kicking the ball with them, cooking them dinners, taking them to the park or soccer practice. Art, no doubt. <laughs> Art. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I do that too. Making a mess, having fun, playing with them, wrestling, yeah. doing all that yeah, fun boy dad stuff. stuff. Yeah. I have no idea what happens at school. I don't think I've ever even looked at our bank account. Yeah. I don't know what month it is. I don't know how the bills get paid. Yeah. I know I earn money. Yeah. <laughs> beyond <laughs> Comes that. Comes somewhere, yeah. goes somewhere. As an adult, you're fully aware of your diagnosis of dyslexia and obviously like very accepting of it. And in fact, I've heard you talk about like it being a superpower and really it celebrating that. It is a superpower. That. Yeah. And I'm sure most people would love to be dyslexic if they knew how great it was. Yeah. I feel like almost a visitor in another planet and it's fun, I think. Would you say it has a role in fostering your creativity? Absolutely. Yeah. Every night I have epic film-length dreams. Seriously, I don't sleep much. <laughs> yeah. And I have so many ideas that I haven't even touched on so much I want to do creatively. So in a normal mind, I think solving a problem you go from A to B and if you're dyslexic, your mind has to go up and down and around to get there. And while you're on that journey, you discover other ways of doing things. You know, Einstein was dyslexic. You know, I'm sure he wouldn't have come up with some of the ideas he had unless he was thinking out of the box. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of bright little minds that are overwhelmed finding out they're dyslexic. When they find out that they have a great gift and embrace it, those little minds are the people I think are going to save the planet. Interesting. I was having this conversation with my partner the other night after talking about you and he has difficulties reading and writing and hasn't had a diagnosis of anything in particular in his life but I think had some different like tests when he was younger. And, uh, you know, as a man at his age, someone that struggles to read, obviously he finds it really awkward and like embarrassing sometimes but because he doesn't have a diagnosis, he's just still probably holds on to a bit of that, like, well, I'm just stupid. And the same sort of thing, like you're talking about, like reading to our daughter at night, we were talking about yeah. how you see it as a superpower. And yeah. he's like, but mine's mild because I'm not fully struggling with lots of things. Mine's mild. So what's my superpower? Yeah, you know? mine might like, be viewed as mild if I had have finished school and I had of learn to read and write a little better because you can still, you know, improve your levels of everything. But I think it's a very tricky thing. There's dyslexia, dysplasia. There's all these different, I don't even know them because I can't remember them myself. Yeah. But there's all these variations. Some people are incredible at reading and writing and they're terrible with numbers. With dyslexia, it can affect people in all different ways. Some people, it's just memory. Okay. And they can be very articulate and they can write books and yeah others it's just memory general knowledge so 
it can be mild or it might only affect people in certain ways, but I think it's worth getting a diagnosis. Everyone's different, you know, so I think a diagnosis can help some people for sure. And also letting people know, people that are close to you or people we deal with all the time. A problem is you feel like you're letting people down and people can also feel like you're being dismissive or not making an effort. If it's very easy for someone to write, and I totally appreciate a beautifully written letter, email, all the punctuation and everything's done perfectly, that's amazing. It's like a picture. And when you reply and you say, yeah, cool, smiley face, people think, ah, you're being dismissive or you're not putting the same effort in. And so I think it's important to let people know if you don't turn up on time, it's not because you don't care, it's because you just don't work like that. You were here actually early today. Actually, I think right on time or maybe early. That's because Ash is back. (laughs) Ash is back in town. Put it in my Google Maps. She said, this is how long it's going to take you. You need to go now. Get out the door. Kick me out of the house. How do you find your dyslexia plays a role for you as a dad? I think it makes me fun, Dad. Yeah. And I joke a lot, maybe too much. I wind the kids up right before bed. Yeah. You know, all these things I'm not meant to do. I think it helps me view the world through a child's eyes and I can work on on their level. I do feel like I've let them down when it's book week and they go to school in their uniform because <laughs> Ash is not there. That's a problem. I make mistakes, but I try and make up for it creatively. I think I have a good understanding of their emotional needs. Since becoming a dad with your creativity and with your art, do you think that has changed, like your approach to the way that you do your work? Before having children, I could paint 24 hours a day and that's all that mattered. And you can be really productive and that equals more success. And I think it's a different type of ambition because now – I'm painting because of my family and my children and wanting to share that with them. So it's probably physically less productive but more rewarding. So I'm more ambitious. Yeah. I just don't have enough time. Are your boys creative? They're very creative thinkers. I've never put pressure on them to, you know, ask my thing. I love boxing. They love soccer. And, you know, I like painting and they like music and other things. So they are good when they put their mind to it but it's I don't think it's their thing and when they do make art it's probably very abstract and a lot of expression and I really love that as well and I don't want to put them off being creative because they don't make art like I do and I think something happens sometimes with their peers or school and someone says oh that doesn't look like a Mm, a dog it looks like a cow they lose their confidence and they lose their confidence art's not about replicating something real I paint people because I love people but the beauty of art is we all see the world with different eyes people can be creative on any level the way they dress the way they do their hair and everyone's creative everyone's creative yeah yeah. were your parents or anyone else in your family artists they weren't artists but they all had talent a little bit of talent my mum's still great at painting you know I, I grew up in a very eccentric environment my mum's a bit of a witch you know there was meditation classes in the lounge room and astral traveling and tarot cards and crazy stuff yeah it was like living in Hogwarts (laughs) and I was I don't know I'm not sure if I was from Slytherin or (laughs) 
often, often. Are you still close with your mum and your siblings? Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted to ask you one more question around how you're talking about like the hus- hustling with dyslexia because I think it's quite interesting. It's really important to like have this conversation for people that might be listening or in particular people that are listening thinking that's maybe something different about their child and, you know, the way that you've managed to foster your difference into something amazing um, and being like very proud and celebrating it. How do you feel about the label of dyslexia or the label of neurodivergent people and neurotypical people? Mm -hmm. So I think people are trying not to have a stigma. Uh, I've talked to parents and they're like, I think my child's dyslexic, like it's a secret, you know, or they're ashamed of it or, you know, they're disappointed. Yeah. And I can understand. They don't want to accept it, I think. They don't want to accept it and it's like a dirty word for them. And I can understand. Just like when I found out I was dyslexic, if you find out your child is, they're going to have a struggle with certain things. But then you just have to look at the incredible list of entrepreneurs like uh, Richard Branson, Tom Cruise, uh, Steven Spielberg. There's just a massive list of people and you can see that they still hustle, but it's about not cheating. It's about it being a positive Mm. hustle. So there's nothing wrong with it a bit of hustle as long as you're being fair and doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, and that's what dyslexic and creative people are good at. How am I going to find a way to make this happen and not accept no? Yeah, and I mean, if you don't want to accept it and you don't want to actually get that diagnosis for your child, you're making it a lot harder for your child too, you know, whereas once you know what what it is and how you can support them. (laughs) It's funny. A dyslexic person setting up a foundation for dyslexia is a big problem. <laughs> so I've set up this foundation <laughs> for dyslexia, which I haven't launched it, but it's all ready to go. Yeah, And it's to help children and adults be diagnosed. But then, so now what do I do? Early on in schools, like you have the dentists come to the school or the kids get their eye checked. Children should be tested for any learning difficulties as well as early on as they can. I was put in a special class with all the special kids of all special needs. Mm. Do you think that was the right thing to do? That was terrible. It was the worst thing anyone could do. It just made us feel like a bunch of misfit losers, separated from the other kids. And instead they could talk to all the children about this is dyslexia week or diverse learning or whatever they can call it to make it okay and sit down with all the kids and say, this person has dyslexia, this person is on the spectrum, and look what they're doing. So if you notice this in- And normalise it too, so it's a normal part of the conversation. If you notice your friends have this gift, yeah, show them the superpower that they have. And so almost making it like another sort of social category. Yeah, so it's not everyone reads the same, not everyone learns the same. So I think that's something I'd like to do. Ash and I just became ambassadors for- yeah, I can't remember. I can see it. It's on your T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Literacy <laughs> is freedom. Yeah, that's, that's the slogan. But see, this is the problem. People think, oh, you, you just don't care. But I do. I just can't remember. The, yeah. the basic, the very basic things like my children's date of birth. I, I don't know. No. The amount of times I've been filling out a form and I'm like, oh, I just have to call my wife to find out 
when my child was born. <laughs> Seriously, sure it's your child. Well, I uh, think that's exactly the reason why I think it's important for everyone to be educated that like it is just another normal category of someone's identity. So when you put in normal, typical day-to-day situations like that, people aren't judging you. Yeah. They're just thinking, oh, they might be X, Y, or Z. You know, you, get, you become very good at Pictionary and charades. Yeah. 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 Every conversation I have with Ash is like a guessing game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very patient. Well, kids can be really nasty too. So if they do know more about these things and they are educated, then I think it, you know, it makes it a lot better for everybody, yeah, particularly. Definitely. Well, following generations, I think we'll be a lot more accepting of people's differences because of all differences. like you talking about yeah, it. All differences. All differences, you know, like yeah. You can embrace the beauty of of all of us, how different we are, the way we make art, the music we listen to, yeah, the way we think. You know, without diversity, it would be pretty boring. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we don't want to finish up. We could talk for hours. So I've got one last question for you. If you were to go back in time, what piece of advice would you give your 13-year-old self? That's a, that is a very good question. I don't know. I think I would say just maybe – believe in yourself a little more like I spent all my teenage years feeling like a fraud and I'm not whatever you want to do especially at that age you can actually do it even as a dyslexic if you wanted to study medicine if you want to be an actor or a sports person a business person like just believe in your goals. Well, Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. I wish I spoke to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been so nice to have you here and to chat and to get to know more about you. And we really appreciate you giving us your time. Did you know why we actually wanted to interview you? Because when we did Ash's episode, we had lots of people asking yeah. about you. <laughs> Everyone was like, can Asher? you get Vincent on now? Yeah, Hear they that were really Asher? fascinated Seriously, right. you know, by your story. And You know, if someone has a partner or a kid mm. that has a little bit of a struggle yeah. or, you know, they can get some positivity from it. And there's a stack of Italian cakes just over there. Yeah, yes. everyone's tummies As are starting to grumble. Paid job. <laughs> <laughs> you have Thanks to declare so when you're getting paid. I'm getting paid in cakes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Vincent. You're welcome. Thank you. That's it for today. Make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common. Or you can check out our Facebook page, which is also Talking In Common. Have a lovely day and as always, thanks for listening.